You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Metamorphosis. My name is Tina. And my name is Faison. Here on the Metamorphosis podcast, we are interviewing various physicians across BC with the aim of learning more about their specialties and helping us navigate our medical careers. We have a very special guest joining us today, Dr. Tracy Pressey from the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and one of our professors in maternal fetal medicine. She's also the award winner of the UBC Medical Undergraduate Society 2021 Teaching Excellence Award. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Pressey. Thank you. Excited to be here. If you could just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to medicine. Oh, that's a big question. Um, so I'll start with where I am now, maybe. So I'm a um, perinatologist or maternal fetal medicine specialist at BC Women's Hospital. So my clinical practice is um, just focused on high-risk obstetrics. So pregnancy is complicated either by mom or fetal or both issues. Um, and my path to get into that practice was through um, an obstetrics and gynecology five-year residency and then a two-year fellowship in maternal fetal medicine. So that's my clinical practice. How did you know that you wanted to do medicine in the first place? Um, you know, I think I was one of the lucky ones who always knew I wanted to be a doctor. My mom is a nurse, and when I was young, I guess I was exposed to healthcare in that way. Um, and so I think I always kind of knew it was going to be medicine. I tried to convince myself in undergrad to do other things that were going to be less time-consuming, mm-hmm. um, but ultimately always was coming back to medicine. And then obstetrics and gynecology in particular, I remember being 16 and playing competitive soccer. um, And there was a group of three of us who decided that we were going to open a gynecology clinic. I don't think I actually knew what a gynecologist was at 16, um, but it sounded cool. So I was like, okay, great, let's do that. Um, And then, so I guess I always kind of knew about obstetrics and gyne. And then it was clear um, in my undergrad medicine that... um, my path was going to be something surgical, um, that became quite clear, and that um, obstetrics gynae was just the right fit for me. So um, we could talk in more specifics about how I made that choice, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, it was pretty clear from from the majority of my training that I was going to be obstetrics and gynae. The maternal fetal medicine only came up partway through my residency, so that it was never that I envisioned myself being an MFM specialist. That mm-hmm. was very much through my residency training that that happened. So tell us more about how you made that decision. So for obstetrics and gynae, I think I, throughout med school and once I started on my clerkships, I kind of kept my mind open to all possibilities. And to be honest, I think for a long time I can, I sort of foresee myself being a family physician who did lots of um, broad medicine and I really wanted to follow the continuum of a patient through life, including their family. Um, I had early exposure in med school, though, to the OR and realized that I love to operate. And so I started looking at more surgical specialties at that point. Um, But I was also married as a medical student and very much wanted to start a family. So I was quite intimidated at the prospect of a five-year surgical residency. And so although obstetrics and gynae was always a thing that kept pulling me, every time I was on a rotation, I tried to think about could I do this? Like, would I be happy doing this? Um, And for the most part, to be honest, I think I probably would have been happy doing almost anything in medicine because I really did love most things that I did. Um, And so then I started to look at, okay, well, 
what am I more excited to be up in the middle of the night doing? So if I'm going to be up in the middle of the night, what is it that I want to be seeing and, and treating and caring for? And that is when I kept always coming back to obstetrics and gynae. Um, and so while I tried to convince myself to do um, other things that maybe were shorter training or potentially less intense than obsgyne has a reputation for, um, it was clear to me that it was going to be obsgyne. Um and so then I started pursuing electives that were, you know, going to support that as well. So, yeah. And so, um, and my support network was all very much in favor and could see that it was going to be obsgyne at the end of the day. Um, if I stayed late for something, it was often that obstetrical patient. Um, I didn't mind being in the OR till, you know, I remember clearly my first year wedding anniversary, all my family and friends, we'd invited them out to our cabin and I knew that everyone was out there already water skiing and hanging by the bonfire. And I was in like an eight hour gynionk case that was just so challenging. Um, but I never once really looked at the clock or thought, oh, they're out. Okay, I did. I thought, oh, they're out on the lake. They're already skiing. Here I am in the OR. But at the end of it, when I finally got out to the lake and drove the three hour drive with my dad, I didn't stop talking about the case. And so it was clear that it was like, okay, I'm... I'm committed to medicine. This is what I want to do. And I want to be doing something that I love. And that was really clearly what I loved, despite missing my first year wedding anniversary. <laughs> he was still there the next day, so it worked out just fine. <laughs> so would you say that that challenging case was the moment for you, that you felt that Hobson-Gyne was the, the path? Or No, I don't know that there was necessarily like one moment. Mm -hmm. I think it was like all throughout every rotation, mm -hmm. it was just more and more obvious um, but I really did keep my mind open to things. And, you know, my partner will tell you that I was seriously thinking about some other surgical specialties. And um, so, it, you know, it was, I don't, I wouldn't say that it was always a done deal for me. I was really trying to reflect about what would this mean for my life? Um, who do I like working with? How do I feel on the rotations? And so I think there was probably a few kind of aha moments. And that case was definitely one of them. Um but I still remember even right up until CARMS thinking about, oh, is this the right, is this the right choice for me? And so, and I think that's natural. I think you, it's such an important decision that you make that I really wanted to make sure that I was reflecting on what it, was this the right decision and why was I making that choice and did that fit with my sort of long-term picture of what I wanted to do? Is there any other field that you think that you would have been better suited for? Or do you think that you made the right decision? I think I absolutely made the right decision, mm -hmm. um, especially with my subspecialty now. Mm -hmm. So, no, I can't envision myself doing anything else. But that's not to say that there haven't been times that I've regretted it or questioned it. Mm -hmm. And I can very clearly remember in second year of my residency, which is like the probably one of the more demanding years of an obstetrics residency is year two. Um, and I very clearly remember sitting on the call room bed crying post-call one day saying, I can't do this, I'm done, and talking to my chief and actually thinking I was going to quit. Um, and luckily I had uh, the weekend off, which is huge as an obstetrics resident to get a full two days off. So I had the weekend off following that and was able to come back sort of refreshed and revived and kind of put life back in perspective. Um, but it was not an easy path always, and there was definitely times that I questioned it. But now, in retrospect, looking back, do I think there was a better choice for me? No. Though I do think that the reason I can say that is that I've been quite um, thoughtful and active in deciding what my career looks like. So 
I think that no matter what field I would have gone into, I likely would be happy because I would have tried to drive my career in the direction that I want it to be. Um, and so there are other fields I could see now, you know, when I consult with my colleagues that I think I could be really happy and, and I really enjoy the medicine of and the, the surgeries that they do. Um, but no, I, I think I've made the right choice for me. Yeah. Let's talk about what the job of an OBGYN looks like and then more specifically what your day-to-day looks like. Yeah, so um, it's hard for me to talk about a general ob because I've never truly practiced as one. So from the time I finished my residency and qualified as an ob I went right into fellowship, which is different than some. So some people will locum after their residency before they pursue a fellowship. So I've never independently practiced as an ob Um, But in general, um, OB-GYNs share both obstetrics and gynecology in their practice. Um, And that's what you train your five years to do is to do both. Um, Most are um, private practice as opposed to sort of hospital-based and would do both gyne-ORs, gyne-office, obstetrics office, and then be on call for deliveries. Um, And part of the decision for me to pursue MFM was actually as a resident in the program I was in, most OB-GYNs at that time um, were on call for themselves and were not in call groups. And I just could not envision a life where I was on call 24-7. And I could see somewhere being really torn between running an office and getting called out for a delivery or getting called to emerge for their ruptured ectopic patient. And that was not how I wanted to be practicing medicine. And so that ultimately was part of my decision to pursue MFM. And since my training, most hospitals now have mandatory call groups for obstetricians. So where I practice now at women's, the obstetricians do mandatory 12-hour call and sign out to each other. So it's a much more manageable way to practice medicine in, in my view. Um, and so that has changed a lot in the world of obstetrics now compared to what I was experiencing as a trainee. Um, so an obstetrician would um, see high-risk pregnancies but still potentially refer to MFM, my practice, for the, the more complicated or in particular fetal issues. And so my practice, um, I no longer do gynecology. It's although I trained a lot for it and loved gyne ORs. Um, I loved being in the operating room. Um, I made an active choice to give up gyne to do the subspecialty MFM. So my practice would look like a lot of referrals from other maternity care providers, including um, midwives, family docs, and obstetricians, to help consult on their higher risk cases. So I'm a hospital-based salaried physician at BC Women's, um, and I'm in a group practice. And so when I'm on call, I'm on for the whole group, um, and we're on for the province or any maternity that needs advice or transport. And when I'm off call and I'm not at work during the day, I'm off. So um, there may be the odd thing that I sub-sub-specialize in and I might get called for, but for the most part when I'm off, I'm, I'm off. Um, and so I don't do gyne, but I just do high-risk obstetrics, which may involve clinic, seeing patients in the clinic, doing um, ultrasounds for their pregnancy. So we are the sort of experts in um, fetal ultrasounds, doing fetal procedures potentially, which is a thing that really still gets my surgical thing going. Um, and then I still do deliveries. So I would do deliveries and, and call in the delivery suite for just high-risk patients. So 
low volume, but tend to be very complex cases that, you know, one case might keep you busy all night long. Um, so that's what maternal fetal medicine here at women's would look like. And all practices in medicine, and especially OBSGYNI and MFM, look different everywhere in the province, or in sorry, in the country. So there's different ways that each practice is set up. And so that's just particularly how my practice at women's is set up. Um, and that works great for me. So it sounds like you have a quite a bit of variability and flexibility in, in what your job entails. And surgical specialties generally are known for being quite restricted to hospitals. Could you talk more about different opportunities within OBGYN? Um, yeah, so I think when you do um, OB-GYN, and I didn't even really understand what fellowship was until I was a resident. So, you know, as if you train in OB-GYN, you could choose to do what would be called general practice, which is at the end of your five years, go into practice and do usually both obstetrics and gynae. Um, or you could choose to subspecialize and do a fellowship. And there's a variety of different fellowships that you can go into after OBSGYNI. Um, some of which are more surgical and then some of which are, are less surgical, like MFM would not be considered, you know, a primary surgical subspecialty. Um, and so the a general OB-GYN um, is typically linked to a particular hospital where they have privileges, where they would do their deliveries and their operating and be um, put into the OR slate. And you might get, you know, depends where you practice, you'd get a set day or half day in the operating room every couple of weeks or however it's determined. Um, and then you would run your own private practice for your clinical patients. Um, and then some of the subspecialties would have private practices like the fertility clinics are very much a private run practice. And others that are more surgical based subspecialties would be very much based in hospital, maybe have their clinics in hospital and do their operations in, in hospitals. So like the urogynecology team or the gynecology team, that's how they would practice. And so for our fellow medical students who are interested in this field, what, what different subspecialties are available? So through OB-GYN, um, there's maternal fetal medicine, which is probably the most fun. <laughs> I'm biased, but I love it. So maternal fetal medicine, there's the reproductive endocrinology and infertility, or REI, um, which is sort of what you guys would have seen as some of the fertility docs that have come in and done some lectures. Um, there is urogynecology, which is particularly surgery focused on um, sort of pelvic floor and urology for females. Uh, there's gynecology, which is gynecologic cancers. Um, there's minimally invasive surgery, or MIS, which would be much more laparoscopic, um, sort of fine-tuned, uh, minimally invasive surgeries. And there's um, family planning and contraception, which would be like abortion care, um, although that's also through family practice. So that's not necessarily limited to obstetrics and gynae, but there'd be some who've done um, like a family planning. There would be um, pediatric uh, gynecology, so um, you could do a subspecialty in just pediatric uh, gynae. Those are the only ones I can think of. And some of them are Royal College recognized fellowships where you write an exam and actually get a Royal College sort of certificate, and others are just like an extra year of um, sort of focus training and not necessarily at the moment a college recognized um, subspecialty. Could you speak to some of the challenges in your field? Uh, do you mean challenges as a physician 
from a like life point of view or challenges as a physician in the medical system? What both? Both. Um, so in in my field in particular, being subspecialized, I would say one of the challenges that I am involved in a fairly short window of a patient's life. So for someone who thought I wanted to care for the patient long term and their extended family, I'm completely not doing that. So sometimes I feel like I have such a limited window um, with the patient, though, to be honest, um, that actually works far better for me. Like I actually enjoy that aspect of um, having a very impactful um, relationship with the patient in a, what's typically one of the more challenging times in their life, having a complicated pregnancy. Um, so while I thought years ago I wanted to see this long-term preventative medicine kind of approach, I've realized for me actually having that short-term more impactful um, opportunity is actually better for me. So I probably don't see that as a disadvantage, but that's also because that's I've been able to realize that for me that works really well. Um, I would say probably the biggest challenges I still face with my field in particular is that um, I am hospital-based, and so there's a lot that's sort of mandated by the way that you practice within the health authority or the health system. And certainly in my training, which was quite a while ago now, we weren't really trained to be part of that process. So we were trained to be good clinicians and surgeons, but I wasn't really, didn't receive any training on health advocacy or health policy or administration. And becoming an academic specialty, which is what MFM is considered, there's an expectation that you are an administrator of some form. And so, but without having any particular training or quite honestly any interest in my own, I don't have a business sense. I'm not really wanting to be an administrator. Um, that is something that is expected of physicians and especially subspecialty hospital-based physicians. So for me personally, that remains a challenge because it's not really what I want to do. I really want to do clinical medicine and teach. And so um, I've been very fortunate because instead of having to become a hospital administrator, I've been able to take my academic position and become an educator. Um, so, but that would be sort of one of the challenges is just working within a health system that maybe I didn't fully appreciate going into my field, that that's what I would be doing. I think for generalists, one of the challenges they might face is that you're very much at the mercy of the hospital within which you have your privileges. So as a surgeon, getting operating time is crucial, and that's not something that you necessarily have as much control over. Um, I don't have direct um, personal experience with that, but I could see that that would be a challenge as a physician is working within that sort of health system. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the teaching, and it's mm -hmm. something that you're very um, amazing at. Uh, as students well, thank you. think that you're so interactive with uh, your lectures, and I was just wondering how you got involved with UBC faculty in the first place. Yeah, so um, this is again, I didn't ever foresee myself being an educator. I, I always enjoyed working with students. You know, as a resident, you always have students assigned with you, but it wasn't something that I necessarily was carving out to become part of my practice. Um, and when I joined the group here, I was very fortunate to have an amazing mentor and department head, Dr. Robert Liston, who's since retired. And he was an amazing mentor because he could see the potential within each of us. And he was the one who really started to push me to go into undergrad education. Um, and to be quite honest, during my MFM fellowship, I was just focusing on being a good clinician. And I really wanted to become a fetal, fetoscopic surgeon. 
And so for Dr. Liston to kind of see in me this this sort of untapped potential passion for undergrad education was great. So he sort of directed me in that way, and then I started to get more involved in the undergrad um, curriculum. And so it just kind of took off from there. Um, there was sort of a need uh, for someone to take over at that time what was called the reproduction block and the pregnancy week in particular. So my first kind of involvement um they asked me to take on leading the pregnancy week and I actually declined for the first year because I didn't understand the curriculum at all so I had no idea what the week was about and I actually said before I do that I want to tutor because there was a thing called tutoring which I wasn't familiar with from Edmonton um, where I did my undergrad and my residency so I actually became a at the time it was called PBL I was a PBL tutor uh, and I tutored in the cardiovascular block. And I actually didn't want to tutor in reproduction because I wanted to tutor outside my content field because apparently that's what they wanted. They didn't want content experts tutoring. They wanted to be out of your field. So I tutored in the cardiovascular block and I loved it. I was like, my husband knew when I was tutoring because I'd come home and I was so excited and I was reading, I was spending countless hours studying because all of a sudden for me, it's like I got to go back to med school and I had all the clinical relevance for why this stuff mattered and like was so excited. I think that my first group of tutor students probably thought I was the funniest tutor because I would come in with this like huge smile. I'd be like, I get this and I loved it and I loved interacting with the students and helping them see the clinical relevance, but it wasn't my content expertise. So I was still working through the foundational science with them to understand how it applied, but I could bring that bit of clinical. So I got hooked on the tutoring and I realized how much I loved the small group working with students and actually working one-on-one -on -one with, with them or you know in a small group setting. So from there, I then understood a bit about what this case-based learning or problem-based learning looked like. And then the next year I took on the role of the week lead for the pregnancy week in the in that block. Um, and I didn't tutor as much because it's quite a commitment for a clinician to take Monday, Wednesday, Friday out of their clinical practice to go tutor. So I didn't tutor as much and I became much more the lead of the case and then the, the lectures. And from there my involvement just kind of grew. So then I ultimately took on the chair of the reproduction block when the previous chair um, was ready to step down. Uh, and then from there with curriculum renewal I became even more involved in sort of renewing the whole spiral of the reproductive um, content. Um, I've always tried to maintain if I could the opportunity to do this small group but it's just not that realistic for my group based practice here at the hospital and then as much as I loved it from a personal um, reward point of view it wasn't as big of an impact as I felt I could probably have as being um, the weak lead of a, a content and being more available to the entire 280 plus students as opposed to my group of eight so while I loved the small group um, it just wasn't realistic to do all of it so I focused more on the on leading the weeks and and trying to put together a, a good spiral of our own curriculum is there anything in our curriculum you would modify even now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I think that there's always an opportunity to kind of reflect and renew what we're doing. Um, I think that I've been extremely fortunate because my division and department supports my involvement in the undergrad curriculum as my sort of admin position. 
Um, so I had the opportunity to be involved right from one of your first lectures in first year um, to taking on seeing the third years when they're on their clerkship and I do fourth year elective students as well. So I've had the privilege of being supported by my group and my division to do that and it gives me good sense of where you guys are learning the reproduction material and trying to really spiral that. And I see that the sort of new curriculum that you guys are in have some huge opportunities with that. But what I feel it demands or requires is someone who really is on the ground and involved it all the way through. And I think that's challenging for clinicians to do because um, unfortunately it's not the way most of our clinical practice is set up is to allow you to kind of go and do some of that teaching. Um, the other thing is that um, I'm fortunate because I'm a salaried physician. It works in as part of my salaried position. But for many clinicians, they are fee-for-service. So if they're not in their office making money and they're teaching, they aren't you know, having the same financial income. And so that can be a bit of a deterrent. And so I do think the curriculum would continue to benefit from more involvement of clinicians and not just spot involvement, but sort of long-term involvement of really trying to develop the curriculum. So I think there's opportunities to continue to, to do that. I think that's one of the struggles that medical students, uh, as we move forward, having to make decisions about what we're going to specialize in. Uh, one of the co considerations being made is the ability to provide the best care possible when you're uh, faced with some of the struggles of having such a busy practice. Mm -hmm. Do you find that that's a big challenge in OBSGYN, and how do people get around that? Um, so to be quite honest, for me, part of the drive to do <clears throat> maternal fetal medicine was um, that need for me to feel that I had enough time with my patients to truly give them good care. And I struggled with um, being a resident and realizing that I might have five minutes for a prenatal visit in an office with a patient. And I just didn't see that that was going to be enough time and just didn't work with my style of practice. So part of the benefit of doing maternal fetal medicine is that um, I can have as much as an hour and a half with a patient. Um, because we're salaried, it's not about the dollar of how many patients I can see in the day, which is a reality of practice. If you're paying overhead and you've got staff and you need to get so many patients through the door, in my practice, I don't have to worry about that. So we can book patients more appropriately for the complexity of their care. Um, so I don't see it as much because I do feel that we give exceptional care to our patients, but that's the luxury of doing subspecialty obstetrics. Um, so I feel like I can, can do great clinical care and still do the teaching as well and do all the other things in my MFM practice that I want to do. But that is definitely a benefit of what I've been able to carve out in MFM. Yeah. So that's a good transition point to one of the myths associated with your field is that um, you are basically a slave to the hospital schedule, that they, some people say uh, OBGYNs have no personal life because you're always in the hospital. But I found that over time that can change. Could you speak to that within your practice and how much flexibility really is within your field? Yeah, so I think I think both for subspecialty, like myself and MFM, but also in general obstetrics and gynecology, there is a lot more flexibility now than there was 
you know, years ago when I was training as a resident. So there is a way more ability to kind of carve out the type of practice you want. Um, and so whether that be um, practice sharing or working part time or just accepting a certain patient load and not having it be the dollar that ultimately drives what you're doing. And I think that is one thing that is sometimes hard when you suddenly get out into practice and you start making money, it can become a motivator, which hopefully wasn't the motivator that took you into medicine in the first place. Um, And so I think that as long as people stay focused on why they're practicing medicine, what took them there, what was their passion that drew them to their field in the first place, then I think you can always create the practice that you want. And the way I often phrase it to students is that I think you can have it all. I don't think you can have it all at the same time. And so for me, there was huge sacrifices on my time and my family while I was doing some of my training. Um, And certain periods of my training were far more intense and demanding than others. And the same is true for my practice. So there's times that my practice very much takes more of my time and demands. But as long as I continue to keep it in perspective as to why I'm doing what I'm doing, then I'm able to kind of drive what the actual practice looks like. And I think that's true in all fields. Other thing I would say is that my practice today is not necessarily the same practice it was five years ago or what I think it'll look like five years from now. And I think that all fields in medicine, you've got an amazing opportunity to really alter your career as you go through because your priorities change. So my priorities when I was a resident are quite different than they are now. And the things that I'm interested in or that drive me are slightly different. And so I think it's true as long as you see yourself as the active driver of your career. And now that's maybe not true necessarily as much in some of your training. You've got a set mandate of what you have to train to do. But if you always keep in perspective why you've chosen that field, what your passion is, then I think ultimately the career that you get at the end is going to reflect what you want. Um, But it can be hard. I think we all lose some of that perspective as we're going. And so for me, it means having family and friends who keep me grounded as to who I am and why I'm doing what I do. Um, And it's kind of keeping in perspective, like why I've chosen this field and that accepting that sometimes there'll be sacrifices. So I missed the school concert in December. Um, And while my kids may whine about that and give me a really hard time, I also know that that's an active choice I've made to say that that little 24 weeker on the picture that you guys can see right on my bulletin board, that little 24 weeker needed me more that day than me being at the Christmas concert. And so I keep that in perspective and I have, you know, my network that supports me to keep that, that kind of grounding. On that vein, what does life look like outside of medicine for you? Oh, it's awesome. I have a great life. So um, medicine is not, uh, does not define who I am. It's a huge part of me. Um, But I am a mom. I'm a wife. Um, I'm an athlete. I don't know if I can actually use that term anymore. I'm an old athlete. (laughs) Um, So I have a very balanced life, but I've worked really hard to attain that. And I think sometimes I need to remind students that see my very balanced life and want it right now. Um, This is not what I've had the whole way and I've worked hard to get to this point. Um, So I work part-time because I'm salaried, I have that privilege. So I work what's called a 0.7 which in essence is still more than full-time hours. 
Um, but I might work three days one week, four days the next. And then I do call on top of that, which are 24-hour call shifts. Um, and a lot of my teaching is on the side. And so the, the hours actually add up to more. Um, but I've created some flexibility in my life to be able to be a mom. And I can drop my kids at school and pick them up. Um, I'm still quite active and I play soccer every week and I ski every week and I'm on my paddleboard a lot of the summer. Um, so I do a lot that is for me. Um, and then I still really enjoy the mentoring med students. And, and so that's a part of what is probably not as much my daytime work um, at the hospital per se or what I'm paid to do, but that's become a big part of it. So um, so I have quite a good balance. And then it's funny because I have a brother who's a PhD um, who called me up one time and said, Tracy, you're so successful. Like, how do you do it? And I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know, I said, you have to define your own definition of success. And so I said, if you asked some big shot in Canada in my field, if Dr. Pressy is successful, he or she may say, no, what has she published? In fact, I do have some publications. I don't know how that happened, but I do. But their definition of success may involve being recognized internationally or having big publications. Or my other colleagues who are, you know, doing some big administrative job may see that as success. So I've really defined for me what success is. And so I can comfortably say I'm successful because I'm achieving what I want to achieve with my career and with my family and my own personal life. Could you talk about some of the other misconceptions of your field and maybe elucidate some of those for us? I would say for, in particular, for general OB-GYN, um, there's definitely a misconception, as you said earlier, about being um, sort of tied to the hospital and overworked um, and just up all night. Uh, and there's no question when OB-GYNs are on call, they're busy. and uh, They're very busy, and they probably are up for their entire shift. Um, and that's something you have to be prepared to do if you're going to go into obstetrics and gynae. I would say I think one of the misconceptions is probably that the residency is really demanding and, and difficult. And I think that while there is, I don't think there's any residency that's easy. And I do think there are periods of time in the OB-GYN residency in particular that are quite demanding. I think that we have an extremely supportive environment for our residents. Um, there's much more um, acceptance now of having babies during residency in our field. Certainly when I was a resident, there was not many who women or, or men who had chosen to start their families as residents. Um, and that's completely different now. We have very accepting um, and encouraging our trainees to start their families when they're ready, if and when they're ready. Um, and it's also very possible to do that as a successful clinician. So I would say that that's probably one misconception is that OB-GYNs um, residency and staff-wise um, don't always have the best balance. And I think that, that's, that it's quite different than that now, if you choose that. So I think that um, there are still people who probably don't have great balance and don't have as much family life, but that's maybe a choice they've made. So I would say that's probably still the biggest misconception of, of OB-GYN. On that note, for people who are interested in entering your field right now, medical students, I mean, mm -hmm. if you can go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? What's something that surprised you that you wish you had known during your earlier years in medicine? 
Um, I think one of the things I would recommend in particular, because I see you guys in the large program here in Vancouver Fraser, is to get out and go to some of the smaller communities. Because I think that OB-GYN in Vancouver, in the large centres, is quite different than what it might be in a smaller community. Um, And that was one of the things when you asked me about AHA movements, it was I went and spent um, a month in a small community in Alberta, which wasn't part of our rotations. Now you guys have to do rural rotations, but I would do a small community obstetrics and gyne and actually see what does that look like because I think that the practice of OB-GYN is very different practice to practice. So expose yourself to all the potentials of how that practice might look because I think that gives you a more realistic understanding of what your career could be. I would say shadow residents if you can because although they don't know necessarily what practice truly looks like um, getting that sort of exposure early on in your training to residents and what they're doing and what they're seeing is going to help you know if this is something you want to do and then I think the thing that I always kept in mind is if I'm going to be up in the middle of the night what do I want to be doing? And if you're finding yourself drawn to something and you can see yourself doing it in the middle of the night, then that's the direction you need to go. I think the other thing I would say is don't worry about the length of your training. So I really was trying to convince myself to do family practice because it was a two-year residency. And I very clearly realize now especially in retrospect that the duration of your training doesn't matter it's what you're doing and if it's what you really want to do you actually don't notice the years go by Um, so not only did I choose to do a five-year residency I did a two-year fellowship and in fact I would have done a third-year fellowship if my partner was (laughs) ready for that Um, by then he was kind of saying stop it's time to get on with life and start a family and start a career Um, But I actually, going from thinking, oh, I only want to do a two-year residency and get out into practice, I ended up doing seven and was looking for eight. Um, And so don't focus on the time. Focus on what you want to do and what medicine attracts you. Uh, For myself personally, something that terrifies me about OpsGyne is losing patients. How do you deal with that? Um, It's really hard. So... Um, in obstetrics, <clears throat> thankfully, we don't lose many moms. Maternal mortality is exceptionally rare in Canada. Um, I, unfortunately, in my subspecialty, have a higher loss rate, and in particular, we lose a lot of babies. Um, and, you know, I used to look at my colleagues in medical oncology and think, oh, I don't know how they do that. You know, they're just giving bad news all day, and patients are dying. Um, and so while I don't deal with maternal mortality or death frequently, I deal with very devastating news and we do deal with the loss of a pregnancy. Um, and I think that that never gets easy. Um, and so you have to really make sure that you've got a good support network for yourself. And so, you know, I clearly remember driving home one day after the loss of a newborn, um, and I could not shake it. And I walked in the door and my daughter, who was three at the time, ran up and gave me a hug. And I'll start crying now. But anyways, I burst into tears because I knew that that family who I had just been caring for would never have their three-year-old run up and give them a hug. Um, and I sobbed. And my daughter was like, what's happened, mommy? 
maybe she was older she may have been five because to this day she still remembers that and she often asks me she says do you think baby lily is somewhere and she asks the baby lily's family and so i think part of dealing with loss as a physician is accepting that it it might happen and letting it in to an extent because you're human and so that loss is difficult um it's never easy to lose a patient um And so you have to, you do have to process it and allow yourself to grieve loss if, if it's, you know, something that was devastating, um, and talk to your supports and, um, and realize the importance of the work that you do. So while my career and my practices unfortunately have involved a lot of loss, I also can see how impactful my care can be during that time. And that's the part of it that I'll take away, um, from it. But yeah, losing a patient is very tough. Um, and I think some fields are probably better at supporting their their workers than others. Again, because I'm in a group-based practice, that enables me, if I have had a difficult case, um, maybe not a loss, but just a really challenging case or a difficult outcome or a complication, um, I've got a built-in group that not only supports me, but may actually cover me. So if it's like, I need to be off, I can't be here tomorrow, because I need to process what's happened, then for the most part, there's someone who can step in and do the clinic for me. So having, developing for yourself some sort of network that's going to support you both personally, but also professionally to deal with the challenges of medicine is really important. Um, and so, for example, this summer that I hit a low point this summer with something and luckily had a group that was able to kind of back me up and was able to take a bit of personal time to reflect on why am I here? What am I doing? What does this mean? Um, but those challenges will happen. So, um, but I think loss in medicine is going to be hard no matter what field you're in. Yeah. So this might be kind of an obvious question now, but what's the best part of your job and why should medical students enter OB? Oh, the best part of my job. Um, So I'm a clinician at heart. um, There's no question. So for me, the best part is still that clinical interaction with a patient. Um, And it's interesting because I see my interaction with the patient actually similar to how I am with medical students. And it's that kind of aha moment of when a student gets it. The same thing is true for my patients when I'm having to explain a really complex medical condition that we're talking about. And I know I've done my job in educating them when they kind of have that, aha, okay, they get it. And I've given them the information that they need to make the best decisions for them and really empower them in their care. And so I'd say every opportunity clinically where you have that chance to have a patient with an aha moment or really feel like you've empowered them for their care is like the big reward Um, and the same is true for teaching and I see it very much the same it's when you work with a student and you see that light bulb or see them inspired and they're sort of you know you fueled their inspiration um, then that's the reward for me so I would say it's actually both in the clinical and the educational realm that's what it is Um, and there's days that are really hard clinically and so what I've done is well not just clinically but in your career in general and what I think I've done is I've thought about well what are the things that are going to keep me going on those tough days and so for some people it's you know 
it, it again it's whatever that passion was that brought you into it and so for me you guys are sitting in my office you see that there's some pictures of patients so grateful patients and for me that's ultimately what keeps me going so on the nights I was on call for 24 hours Sunday so when I'm here and it's dragging on and it's tiring and it's draining I see these notes from these patients and I see the pictures of their babies and then the year later another follow-up then I go, okay, yeah, that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm not with my kids, for, for example. Um, and so you keep close to you the things that get you through those tougher times. Um, and you have to figure out what that is for you. And for each of us, it's different. So for someone else, it might be some important promotion or their, their name in writing in the New England Journal. Um, so you got to figure out what is that thing that's driving you that's going to sustain you through those. And so I've been able to figure out what those things are. And to be quite honest, it's for me, some of it's the students and it's the, the reward of having you come to my office to interview me kind of keeps me going. OK, let's make a difference for these students. And so you hold on to those things and you keep them close. And I want to say you really have made a difference for us. Everyone in our class just loved you. You made things make sense. That's and really good. added a human perspective mm -hmm. to what we were studying. Well, and thank you, because that is the thing that, that's the reward. And um, you'll find in medicine that there's lots of professional rewards, um, but there's a lot of personal rewards too. And so um, it's okay to celebrate those. So, you know, my kids know that I got a teaching award. In fact, they're used as paperweights and um, swords in my house at the moment. Um, and that's okay. I let them know and I let them celebrate with me that kind of stuff because that is important. And so it, it's, uh, it's, it's great to have that feedback. So as we approach the end of our interview, do you have any final parting wisdom for students like us? Mm -hmm. um, I think... I think the biggest thing as you're looking at your career is to be authentic, be true to yourself as to who you are, um, what is driving you, what motivates you, where your passions lie, um, and follow that and be ready that that might change. And so kind of be open to seeing where your career is going to take you. Um, it's great to have mentors and role models and think I want to practice as they practice, but ultimately only you can decide what that practice is going to look like and how it will be fulfilling. So expose yourself to lots of different people and different practices um, and don't try to just replicate them, but think about how that works into your career. And I think that every one of you guys can have an amazingly successful and rewarding career um, if you kind of keep that in mind. But hang on to that through the hard times because there are days on the call room bed where I think I want to give up. Um, not as often now as maybe when I was more junior. And so know that there is going to be challenges and you've got to be ready to kind of weather those. And so build whatever system it is that's going to help you get through that and vent to whoever you need to vent to to kind of get you through to that next day. So be prepared for that and accept that that's going to be part and parcel of, of being in medicine and there's going to be tough days and you might have imposter syndrome, which believe it or not, most of us do. Um, and so, yeah, I think kind of hold on to the truth of why you're here, know that you have a reason for being here and then be prepared for the days that you might question that. Um, and just as we're ending now, you've mentioned a lot of reasons to be proud of the things in your life, like 
your ability to balance work and life as well as your capacity in teaching us. Is there anything else you'd like to share that you're really proud of? Oh. Um, no, I think right now the uh, I think I'm most proud at the moment that I feel like I'm actively choosing to live the life that I want to live right now and that I'm able to see enjoyment in sort of all aspects of my life. Um, but I also know that that's going to continue to change and evolve. So, but no, I don't think there's one thing in particular that I'm most proud of. Um, I would say that it's, yeah, I would say it's the whole thing right now and that I'm proud to be authentically living the life that I was hoping I could live. Yeah. And, and weathering the hurdles that are coming my way. Um, I think probably the other part that I'm most proud of that maybe hasn't come through is, um, the wonderful kids that I'm raising and, oh, now I'm going to tear up. Um, uh, yeah. And thinking about, um, oh, sorry. It's okay. Uh, thinking about the, um, yeah, the amazing kids that, uh, that I'm raising, they're just awesome. And it's super fun to be a mom and to realize how, how great these little people are. I'm very proud of them. Yep. Thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Pessy. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 